a series that we have been coming into this new year talking about how we can have a fresh faith. We can start 2024 off and running that I, I hope you've uh, really thought spiritually about how you want to engage this new year, how you can be stronger in your faith. And, and over these past five, six weeks, we've been talking about how we can really lean into a deeper faith and have a renewed faith. And the book of Malachi is great about that because God is talking to a people who have lost their way and how he wants to move that faith into what God wants it to be rather than a a lazy faith that you read Israel having at at that time. And, And we're in this final section now where we have If you've been here with us over the past few weeks, you're going to see the exact same framework in this final section that you've seen in all of the others, which is God makes a statement. The people argue with it with a question, and then God explains how the people are wrong and how he's right about the kind of faith that they need to have. And the same thing comes up here, as was just read for us in Malachi chapter three and in verse 13, you will notice that God begins with a statement. He lays out the problem. And and notice what he says in verse 13. He says, your words are hard against me. Wow. And so here are the people and they're saying harsh things about God. And it makes you wonder, well, what exactly do you think they're saying? That God would come to them and say, you're saying some harsh words about me. The things that you are saying... They are arrogant and proud and hard and harsh. And notice what the people have been saying. And so it says there in verse 13, but you say, how have we spoken against you? You're used to that, right? They're always, no, we haven't said anything bad about you. Verse 14, you have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge? Or walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts. And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test. I want you to notice what the people of God are saying. They are saying it's useless to serve God. What's the point? Why do we do this? There's no benefit. In fact, they push it a little bit further and say, you know who's blessed? Not us. Evildoers. They're the blessed ones. We go around mourning, you know, give the picture here of, you know, we have to make sacrifices and we have to withhold from ourselves and restrain ourselves. We go around mourning And there's no value to it while the evildoers not only get away with what they're doing and enjoy the benefits of their sins. But you'll even notice that he makes the point there in verse 15 when he says they not only prosper, but they put God to the test and escape. They challenge God, shake their fist at God, and nothing ever happens to them. All right. Well, I I think this is an interesting perspective, I suppose, that. This is something that the people of God have always wrestled with. It looks like the wicked prosper. It looks like they're getting away with things. What is the point of serving God? What benefit is this to us? It looks like we're making all the sacrifices and we're the ones suffering. And the people in the world, the evildoers, the people who challenge God, they prosper and they get away with it. 
In fact, I think we even have a song that kind of goes along those lines. As we sometimes wonder what is going on and that there's no value to this. And not only do I think the people of God come into this question from time to time, it is certainly a question that permeates through the world. Why serve God? What's the point? What does it matter? What good is it to you? What's the benefit? Why bother? And so that's what God is now going to spend his time answering in this section. And what I'm going to observe for you as we go through this study this morning is that he's going to give them three answers as to why they should serve God. And then at the very end, he's going to tell them three things that they need to do. So it's like the perfect sermon with all the threes, right? We've got three points and three Three takeaways that are happening, but Malachi wrote it that way, and so we're good to go with that. All right, so notice God's answer to this in verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another, and the Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before them, of the, before him, of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. I want you to notice the first thing that happens is God makes this statement. And you might be surprised because we didn't catch this anywhere in reading Malachi. There are some people who fear God. And those people take to heart what God has been saying throughout this prophecy. And they start kind of talking to each other. It sounds like they're talking about how we need to do better, how we need to change, how we need to repent. And it says there in verse 16, God noticed it. And he says that there is a book of remembrance. And I think this is an important picture that God gives to us throughout the scriptures. And sometimes we can forget about this, but over and over again, God will make a point that God knows who is righteous. And he uses the imagery of writing the righteous names in a book. You might remember all the way back in Exodus. In Exodus 32, when you have the, the scene of the golden calf. And God is ready to destroy Israel because he has just taken them out of Egyptian slavery and brought them to Mount Sinai. And Moses has been on the mountain receiving the covenant and the law. And the people are down there in idolatrous worship. And God says he's going to destroy them and start over with Moses. And remember what Moses does. Moses pleads as an intercessor for the forgiveness of the people. But he says something really interesting. Something very powerful. Something that I don't know we would say. And he says, if you will not, then blot me from your book. And you go, whoa. He puts it on the line. And notice that Moses has an awareness of this idea of a book of remembrance. As if he says, I know that I belong to you, but I am going to intercede on behalf of my people. And if you will not forgive, then I don't want to just be all by myself. And you blot me out too. I am with my people to the very end. Daniel makes the same point in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1 where he talks about how there is a book that exists of those who are going to be given to everlasting life and enjoy that life and with great rejoicing. Same idea is pictured here. There is always this imagery of God taking notice of those who belong to him and they are written in a book. The one you might be most familiar with is over at the end of the scriptures in Revelation 20 and verse 12 
where I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they have done. And then just a few sentences later, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. You give a first picture of here are the people and they're saying, why should we serve God? What's the benefit? What's the point? We're obeying you and following you and we don't see any reason to do it. And God's first answer is, well, there's a book. I'm keeping track of who is righteous. The things that we do for God are not just, you know, done and gone and forever gotten. And here is God saying, I remember. I don't forget what you've done. Your name is written in a book. And that book of remembrance, I think, is such a powerful thing to think about, especially the imagery that God uses in Revelation 20 of this time of the end and the books being opened. And here are the names of those who belong to him. And that is an exciting image. And here is Malachi speaking to that and saying, you challenge me and say harsh words that there's no reason to follow me. But understand, God is aware of what we do. God sees what we are going through. God sees our righteousness. And friends, it is not pointless to serve God. In fact, I want you to notice that he pushes this idea a little bit more in verse 17. When he says, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make my treasured possession and I will spare them as a man spares his son who is obedient to him. So he says, number one, there's a book. I am writing down those who belong to me. But then he also makes a point that there is a day. That's an interesting thing, again, that God constantly does. There is a day that is going to be dealt with. And there are two pictures given to this. In verse 17, there's a day when I am making my treasured possession. There's a day where you're going to have everyone who belongs to me. Here is my group, my treasured people. Well, what is this day talking about? Notice, terrible chapter break. Malachi's got lots of those. But notice chapter 4, verse 1, where he talks about that day. Behold, the day is coming. Burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. There is a picture. There is a day coming and there's a gathering of his people, my treasured possession. And there is a day coming where there is a day of judgment. And notice the, the strength of the judgment that is described here in verse 1. Notice he doesn't say, I'm going to set it all ablaze and then it will be done. And then there's going to be new life and new, new roots and new branches and a new tree. Notice verse 1, he says, there's not going to be anything left. You know, that's a contrast to when you have like Isaiah come along and he talks about judgments coming, but then... Jesus is described as this branch, this sprout, this root, this shoot that's going to come up like there's new hope and new life to come. But notice how Malachi ends. No root. No, no second chance. Your chance will have come. We already talked about Christ earlier in chapter 3. 
And he's saying now there's going to be a time of judgment that is going to come. And so is there a reason to serve God? Absolutely, there's a reason to serve God because not only is there a book written, but there is a day. And there is a day in which those who belong to him will understand that. And those who are and do not belong to him will see the outcome of that, which is what the Apostle Paul talked about. These are not just Old Testament pictures. You have the Apostle Paul saying, we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And friends, I want you to think about what Paul says of what that day is going to look like. And everyone is going to receive what, it, what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. That's a sentence to fly over, and I want you not to fly over that. Everyone standing on this day of judgment, and you're going to receive what is due to you. How do you feel about that? I'm not feeling good about that. I don't want that. <laughs> you have Malachi giving a point, and the point in the New Testament of, you really want to lean into Christ because we're all going to stand before God, and there is a day of judgment. And you don't want to be judged according to what is due to you. Uh, you don't want that to happen that way. And that is what Malachi is telling them. Do you think it is important to, to follow God? Do you think there's no reason to serve him? Friends, there is a day that has been set aside by God. There is a day of judgment. As much as we live in a world and a time where we don't want there to be judgment. We don't want there to be a final day. We don't want there to be a final reckoning. Okay, parenthesis, we want a final reckoning on all those really, really, really bad people. But, but for all of us, you know, we really don't want a reckoning because we're all just kind of nice and good. And, you know, we're all just, you know, and God's going, no, there has to be a day. There has to be a day of justice. There has to be a day of putting the wrongs right. There has to be a day of putting things back to their right position because we live in a world where there is injustice and there is evil and there is wickedness and there is oppression and there is hurt and there is harm and something has to happen and God is saying there is a day. Now the people are saying, see, we, we don't see it, so that's why there's no point in serving God. And he's saying, you just wait. You wait, there's a day. I know you look around right now and go, the wicked are prospering and they challenge God and they're getting away with it. And so why do we bother serving God? And God's answer is there's a day. There is a day that God's going to deal with this. There is a day where he's going to bring about a justice that needs to happen. There is a day in which notice verse 18, that there is going to be a distinction. Verse 18, then once more, you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who doesn't serve. Notice there's a statement now of there's going to be a distinguishing between the righteous and the wicked. God says, I've got a book. I'm recording names. There's a day in which I'm going to deal with all of this. And then on that day, that distinction is going to be made between the righteous and the wicked. That is further pictured in verses two and three. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and you shall go out leaping like cows from the stall and you shall tread down the wicked for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on that day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. There's a day and there is going to be a distinction. Now, 
It was a while ago because we've been taking our time going through the gospel of Matthew on Sunday mornings. But Jesus told a parable that exactly hits all three of these aspects that Malachi is talking about. In Matthew chapter 13, listen to how Jesus tells this story in which gives an idea that God has a record of who is righteous and who is not. That There is a day that is coming and in that day a distinction is going to be made. Matthew 13, 24 He put another parable before them saying the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds also appeared. And the servants of the master of the house came to him and said, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. Now listen to what the servant said. So the servant said to him, you want us to go and gather them? Let's, let's go get all the weeds out right now. I mean, they're growing up with, with the wheat. Let's go tear all those, wheat, those weeds out of there. Listen to how Jesus continues the story. But he said, no. Lest in gathering the weeds, you uproot the wheat along with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned and gather the wheat into my barn. Notice Jesus tells a very similar story. Here's the righteous. Here's the wicked. Here are the weeds. Here are the wheat. They're all growing together. Does God know whose weeds and whose wheat? Yep. There's an account, there's a record, he knows. He sees that. Even here in the picture, the servants are going, hey, there's weeds out there among the wheat. But then the picture is, so go out there and get it, right? Go tear it all up. No, why not? Well, because I don't want to uproot those wheat along with the weeds when it's pulled. Now, that's an interesting picture. That's an interesting idea. Wait until the harvest And when the harvest comes at that time, then we will do the distinguishing. That's when the separation is going to happen. Well, why wait so long? One of the beautiful things that God is always doing in scriptures, always, always, always trying to show us is how patient he is to try to give every weed a chance to be wheat. You know, God could go, oh, yeah, I know who's weeds and wheat right here, right now. Go, boom. Yeah, but there might be more wheat tomorrow. And there might be more wheat next week. And if you slow down on the idea long enough, you might be glad that God didn't do the wheat weeds thing earlier in your life. And gave you a chance to be here in the wheat category now. That's what God is describing right here is here's the people of Malachi's day. Ah, it's a waste. Why do we bother? And God's saying, I've got a day and and there are books and there is a distinguishing, but I don't want to uproot the wheat with the weeds. I'm giving more time. I am giving more opportunities. I'm trying to get every single person to repent. God is not joking when he means He is long-suffering and patient and does not want any to perish. He means it. And he will wait and wait and wait 
if it means he can get one more weed into the barn. To us, we look at the world and go, ah, oh, hurry up. Well, the, the wicked prosper, do something, and God's going, hold on. I, I, I can get some more wheat yet. Have a love for the people out there because I can gather some more in. I, I want to be able to rescue as many as possible. But unfortunately, what happens is in the waiting for the day and the waiting for the distinction, the people of God can have the temptation to say, there's no point. That's what the people of Malachi's day have done. Why wait? Why bother? Why serve? Why sacrifice? Why follow? Why do anything that God says? They're just getting away with everything. And God's short solution here is there's a book. And it's recording a distinction between the righteous and the wicked. And on the final day, that'll all be set straight. That's all going to be revealed. Now, I think it is useful to observe that Malachi doesn't end it right there and go, there you go. There's a day. But now he's going to turn with these final three sentences and say, now here's what you need to do about that. Since you know a day is coming, since you know a distinction is going to be made and you know that there's a book, listen to how God ends this. Verse 4 of chapter 4. He says, number one, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. Very simple, obvious. You knew this answer was coming, right? If there's a day and there's a distinction and there's a book, then we need to know God. (laughs) It is really, really important to know God and know his word. Here he's writing to a people, and you might remember how the book is gone. They don't seem to really care about God. Oh, what a weariness it is to worship. Oh, it's such a pain to be here. They're giving him the lame animals and the blemished animals, and they don't want to do sacrifices, and they are very put out by having to serve God. And I want you to see the ending number one is you really need to go back and know God. And you really need to know his word. So number one, I'm going to challenge you with this. How can you spend more time getting to know God this year? Remember God and his ways. That we need to know God. One of the things that is absolutely astounding to me is getting to know God appears to be like getting to know space. There's seems to be no end, right? It just goes and goes and goes. And there is no point in your life where you were going to be like, okay, I've, I've got it all figured out. I finally have all the details and all the knowledge that I need, and I can just set this thing aside, and I can cruise control my way on into heaven. These people knew the law. And God says, go know the law. (laughs) You need to remember it some more and learn more about him and understand what he is trying to teach you. Understand more of his character. Understand who he is. And that is the first picture that he's giving here is we need to keep his word. And I'm offering in this challenge, how well do you know it? You know, in our morning lessons like this, this is why I go to weird places like Malachi. Uh-huh. <laughs> we, we don't know Malachi very well. These are clean pages, right? We, I, I, my, my crumpled pages are in Matthew, but Malachi, not so much. Why do we go out there to Jeremiah of all places? 
Because we need to know this word. It's not about that you have certain details and you understand, repent, confess, and be baptized. But do you know who he is by how he's revealed himself to us with every single word? The size of this isn't just so it would be heavy. There's a lot of God revealing himself to us. There's a lot of him telling us, here's who I am. And I want you to follow me. And yet so often we can miss all of the beauty of who God is as they were missing it there. So number one, will you spend this year getting to know God more than you have in this last year? Number two, verse five. Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. In Malachi's day, he's telling them, I told you that Elijah's coming, that the Lord himself would come back in chapter three. It says the Lord himself will appear suddenly in his temple. And he reminds them of it here in chapter four, that before God comes, he's going to send Elijah, his prophet. We've spent some time in that in, in Matthew's gospel that was pointing to John the baptizer. He's the one who would prepare the way for the Lord. But in that process, I want you to think about he's telling his people, okay, if there's a day and there's a distinction, then you need to be ready for his coming. And that hasn't changed for us. That we need to look in hope to the second coming when he returns. Listen to how the Apostle Paul wrote this. He says, well, let me let me read it weird. Let me read it in the middle, the, the yellow part. We're waiting for his blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we're waiting for. That's our hope. So what are we supposed to be doing while we wait? Verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age while we wait for this hope. This is what Malachi is saying. You need to know who I am and listen to what I'm saying while you wait for my coming. There is a day, there is a distinction, there is a book, and there's a day when those books are going to be open, and we need to be the people who are eagerly waiting for that. We're excited for that. That we, we say it in prayer sometimes, how wonderful it will be to hear God say from that parable, well done, good and faithful servant. Best words ever in all the universe. That we would be able to hear that from God on that day when we stand before him to have the books open for him to run his finger down and go, there you are right there. Your name's in the book. You belong to me. You're my treasured possession. I would just be amazed. But notice he's picturing you got to renounce the ungodliness. It's got to be a new life. It's got to be a new way of living. And so he tells them, change your ways because God is coming. And notice the change that's pictured in verse 6. Verse 6, he says, what an ending. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. This is a very strange ending. That's a a hard stop ending right there. Final words to the people. And by the way, he's not going to talk to them for hundreds of years after this one. This was just final message. I'm done. Here you go. And his final words are, 
And he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. And then says, and if that doesn't happen, I'm decreeing destruction on the whole land. What's God looking for? Well, he's telling them, so when that John the baptizer Elijah comes, there better be repentant hearts. You shouldn't be surprised that the first words out of John's mouth when he starts walking around is repent. (laughs) He's living this out right here. He's walking around going, there needs to be a change of heart. There need to be a change of ways. Everybody needs to change and turn back to God before it's too late because there's a day and you need to get ready for that day. Now, here's what I think is interesting, though. In verse six, he doesn't say, and so you all just need to repent, which that'd be great. Isn't it interesting what he uses? The fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. Why would you say that of all the things? Of all of the pictures to use, the picture that he wants to use of repentance is in a family dynamic. And I think this is very valuable to us because one of the pictures that we're being told is that the heart of the parent will turn and do what is best for that child. It won't be selfish. But will act on behalf of the child. The heart will turn toward the child. And notice the reverse as well. The child will turn and have a heart to the father. There's a beautiful thing that is being pictured here about a healing and a restoration of the family dynamic and family relationship because they know God and have a heart for God. Let me put it this way. Sometimes we make repentance and knowing God all about this vertical relationship. And we completely miss that the practice of this vertical relationship is in the horizontal relationship. If you are truly repentant toward God, you're going to be repenting in every relationship that you have, even the hidden one in your home. You know, that hidden one. I thought, you know, there's a reason why those who are called to spiritual service as shepherds and deacons, both of them analyze the home and how he managed it. Why is that so important? Who cares? Okay, yeah, that he'll, if he can't lead his family, how can he lead the household of God? Sure. But when you see humility and repentance in the home. Then, you know, you have someone whose vertical relationship has permeated into the horizontal. Because I think all the parents could raise their hand and go, yeah, there's got to be a whole lot of repentance. (laughs) I'd love to be able to go, oh, yeah, perfectly parented, you know, just aced it, nailed it 100 on the chart, right? No. No, there's going to be a whole lot of, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. That wasn't right. I I made a mistake there. I'm sorry. You might take 10 years later in your life and have to look back and go, yeah, that wasn't the best. I'm sorry about that. But this is what God is saying is there would be a heart of repentance that is filtered all the way down into the simplicity of the home. 
That the hearts of the fathers will turn to the children and the hearts of the children will turn to their fathers. Friends, repentance towards God bears fruit in every relationship. And so often we can think when it comes to the home, well, that's off limits, you know. And I might have to be repentant to the people in here, but, you know, in the home, nobody sees that. God does. And I want you to notice what he says at the end of that verse. He says, if that didn't happen, destruction was coming. Think it's important? Think God sees? Think God cares? And so even in the family dynamic, there's supposed to be a repentance both directions. Of us listening to God and then seeking the best interest of others, even in the home. I don't know what we're afraid of of saying sorry in our families. Why is that such a big deal? I, I don't I don't get it. It seems like that's the hardest place to say I'm sorry. When that's the most obvious place that we probably need to say it every day. It's the hardest place for us to repent. And I think it's useful to observe as well. As the family goes, so goes the land. And that's not hard to look around and draw that one out. That's how he ends it. Is if that's not happening in the home, you're going to see destruction. It's all going to fall down. It's all going to fall apart. So pull this all together. We'll end the lesson this way. Here's, here's the people. What's the point in serving God? What does it matter? No benefit. God's going to come back. The reason to serve God, even when you have to sacrifice, even when you have to give up, even as Jesus says, you're going to carry your cross and follow him. And you're going to look around at the world and they're not carrying crosses. They seem to do whatever they want to do, make themselves happy. Why are we having to do this? Because there's a book. And on that day, the book is going to be opened. And there's going to be a distinguishing that's going to be made between the wheat and the weeds, between the righteous and the wicked. You want your name in the book. You want to enjoy life. There is a reason. There is a benefit in serving God. And, you know, God could talk about, here's all the reasons why it's practical for your life today. And that would be true. There's a ton of practical reasons to serve God today. But I love, if you want to sum it all up and throw it out the window, boil it down to this. There's a day. There's a day. And on that day, God's going to sort it out. So then, will you spend your time knowing the Lord? Will you look for his coming? And will you have the repentant heart that God wants you to have as you wait for his arrival? Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, this is an amazing prophecy, an amazing book. We thank you for it and how deeply it teaches us about the faith that you want us to have. Lord, we praise you and thank you that you are a God of righteousness and faithfulness, a God of justice. That you will put things to right for all the offenses, for all the evils, for all the wrongs. Lord, we know you have a book. We know that you are recording these things and we, we by faith look to you and know that you will put all these wrongs to right. But Lord, that reminds us then that we have done wrong and we need your forgiveness. 
And Lord, I pray that you would instill upon us a zeal to know you more this year than we have in the past. Help us to dig into your word, to seek to know your character, to have a deep relationship with you this year, and to eagerly look forward to your coming. Lord, help us to always be urgent in anticipating your arrival. It can feel like it's not coming, and Lord, forgive us for when we do not live in a way that represents our belief that you could come at any day at any time. And Lord, I pray that you would give us soft hearts. Give us repentant hearts. And Lord, as we repent to you and we see the error of our ways and the magnitude of our sins, give us the courage and give us the humility to be repentant toward one another and to even be repentant in our homes. Lord, I pray that you would help us be children that you want us to be and help us to be the parents that you want us to be and help us to reflect in our homes the relationship that you have with us. We pray this through your son and our savior, Jesus. Amen. Amen. We'll sing an invitation song. We invite you to come to Jesus this morning. We've been talking about there are books, there's a day, and there's going to be a distinction. Today is the day to get right with God before it's too late. Please, please think about there is a benefit in serving God. Even if we couldn't put our finger on anything in this life, but there's a lot of things that we could point out. Eternal life is worth it all. An eternal life with your God and Savior is what I hope you're looking forward to. Will you turn away from your sins today? Will you be repentant toward God? And change your life to follow him and serve him with all of your heart, confessing him to be the son of God who came to this world and died for your sins. And if you have not been immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, we want to provide you that opportunity to get right with God, have those sins washed away, start a new relationship with him and walk with him faithfully this year. And as long as God will give us days to breathe, can we help you do that? Talk to us afterward, talk to me afterward, grab someone next to you, or you can come forward right now while we stand and while we sing.